You're a distinct player with your own musical gifts and style, and we believe that your supplies should reflect that. At the Joyous Bassoon, we offer bassoon reed tools and accessories such as drying racks, soaker cups, keychains, earrings, and more. Choose from products readily available or submit a custom order. If you can dream it, we can make it. The Joyous Bassoon, products as unique as you. Specializing in the finest assortment of oboes, clarinets, bassoons, and their accessories, RDG Woodwinds serves musicians from around the world. Their employees are all professional musicians who have a deep knowledge of the products they sell. RDG's repair shop has an international reputation with a combined 100 plus years of experience among the five repair technicians. Plain and simple, RDG provides excellent products and fabulous customer service. Visit them at rdgwoodwinds.com. They look forward to working with you. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. saw you oh but is that because you did i did just see you oh (laughs) aren't you so lucky we're in oklahoma city together for the oklahoma city university double read day which was so phenomenal it was phenomenal it was a fast and furious trip hence why we did not record the dish if we'd had (laughs) two seconds to pause maybe we would we were tired we were. We did manage to stay up watching Brad Mondo videos that last night. I guess we could have been dishing, but we watched YouTube. That was an important moment of bonding and self-care. Yes, I, I agree. <laughs> People are like, what is that? If you go on YouTube and you put in Brad Mondo, he's a YouTube personality. It's called Hairdresser Reacts, and it's people ruining their hair and a hairdresser responding. And it, I call it zero calorie fun it's that's absolutely what it is and it is shocking what people will do to their beautiful beautiful hair (laughs) it's just so fun to unwind like (laughs) i love it so speaking of zero calorie fun you had a great idea for this dish which is talking about the names of our instruments because this is a phenomenon that happens people name their instruments it is. I was like, what are we going to dish about? And sometimes the ideas flow and we have like five ideas for a dish and it's like, ooh, write down those other four. And then we never do. Never do. And no. Then there are sometimes it's like, oh, what are we going to dish about? And we're at a complete loss. <laughs> and I was like, what are we going to dish about? And to be honest, this is pure hypocrisy because I don't name my instruments. Have you ever named yours? Uh, no, but I have a name for the one I play on now. Okay. What is it? Her name is Greenbow. Greenbow? Greenbow. Is that a town name? No, she's an oboe and she has a green stripe on the bottom. Oh, okay. So So her name is Greenbow. I'm very literal. (laughs) Uh, If you remember a couple of years ago when my student Ashley Moffat posted that gorgeous watercolor of an oboe. Yes. That was modeled off of Greenbow. And in fact, its title is Greenbow. 
So she is a cover girl supermodel. Oh, yes. she is on the cover of IDRS from some at some point in the last couple of years. I don't remember. Well, I love that. Uh, <laughs> I never have given my instrument a name. I don't know what it is. I've never felt compelled to do it. I have referred to it as among the most important personal relationships that I have. Totally. When I think about at the end of my life, like who I spent time with and who I had my most, you know, impactful formative experiences with it, at least at this point will be the bassoon. Like I wouldn't put the bassoon number one, but it's definitely in the top five, maybe Absolutely. top three. That's not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> but very relatable. And it makes sense why people would want to personify that relationship oh, yeah. with a name, um, especially, you know, that addition of an abstraction in the form of a name is someone you can blame when they are yes. misbehaving. Oh, yes. Well, we asked our listeners the names of their instruments y'all love talking about the names of your instruments yeah, oh my. boy oh boy did you deliver on this one yes more than we could possibly get through so thank you for participating in the thread we're gonna pull some of our faves i don't know maybe we can get through them all uh go for it Gilly. what names do we have in the double read family well nancy belmont named her light singer lenore Oh, Lenore. Oh. We people a lot of love for alliteration. I did notice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> also a lot of punny names. Uh Abigail says Kingsley, because he's made of Kingswood. So original, I know. It's also interesting how people gender their instruments. Oh yeah, mine is definitely a lady. I hope there's no like psychologist listening in being like oh man, the projections that these musicians put on their instrument. (laughs) I bet they'd have a field day. Someone's going to write a master's thesis about the personification of the instruments that musicians play. (laughs) So Dr. Obo Hobo says, Darcy, always been a fan of Pride and Prejudice, especially the TV adaptation in the 90s with Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy. First of all, Okay, no. first of all, first of all, no. first of all, Rebecca, we have to have talk. Go ahead. Uh, Galit, I cede the floor, but I will be coming back to give my comments. Alan Rickman is the only Darcy. Incorrect. Matthew McFadden is the superior no. Darcy. I literally championed the hashtag superior Darcy. Do not be talking to me about Colin Firth or any other inferior Darcy. Matthew McFadden is the best Darcy of all time. I will die on this hill. Okay, well, we should move on before we burn our friendship to the ground. It will be Jackie Wilson Hill. (laughs) Here she lies defending her ground that Matthew McFadden is the best Darcy. Um, (laughs) uh, Bassoon friend says, I call my bassoon grandpa. Kind of a Peter and the Wolf reference, but more because I feel like the bassoon would be the grandpa of the Woodwind family. Yeah, and I love the idea of like the bassoon squawks and they're like, grandpa. (laughs) You're not allowed to say that. (laughs) Oh, uh, Maria says her oboe is Loretta because she's a Loray. Everyone told me my instrument had to be male because I'm a girl and they were wrong about my instrument, not me. 
<laughs> okay, Melissa Bosma, a friend of the podcast. Love you, Melissa. My Hi, English Melissa. word is Meredith because she's dark and twisty, which I don't know. Is that a Grey's Anatomy That's reference? That's from Grey's Anatomy, yeah. Oh, okay. My oboe is marshy because it felt like blowing into a marshmallow when I first played it. Is that bad? I feel like that's bad. No, I think it's probably good. Like she was probably oh. like, oh, it feels like blowing into a marshmallow. I'm going to call it oh, marshmallow. Like a delicious marshmallow. Yes. And okay. she also has a student who named their oboe Sandwich. Um, <laughs> I'd love to hear the rationale behind this choice. <laughs> Marissa Oligario, friend of the podcast, calls her bassoon Mr. Batsoon. It's a 10XXX with black lacquer, and I got it summer of 2012 when The Dark Knight Rises came out. I love a cultural reference. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I think we have two oboes named Camille. For Sanson? I assume after Sanson, Will and Eve both named their oboes Camille. Maybe they're long lost twins. Yeah, maybe they need to have like, maybe the Camilles need to fight to the death to see which one is the best Camille. Uh, Amelia likes to name her instruments after food. My English horn is named pear since the bottom looks like a pear. And for some reason, I named my sixth grade oboe pancakes. So my Lorraine is currently named crepes, which of course are French pancakes. I think Amelia's hungry. She's crying out for some snacks. Maybe they like there's too many rehearsals over mealtime and poor Amelia. Can somebody Amelia's. bring Amelia a snack, please? I have named my bassoon Extra Toasty Cheez-Its. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Alex J108 says, uh, Oboe is named Oswald the Second. The Second because it is the second oboe I've owned. Another literal person. Oswald the second we have some fancy names yes um okay we also have uh Michael's oboe's name is Tallula Beauregard oh (laughs) because she has a soft dark focused upper third octave resonant of a classy southern woman from old money who loves gardening and charitable work I love it and uh (laughs) Michelle's bassoon is named Sar Reginald Bassoony the (laughs) Fourth. So we have some bougie instruments, and then we also have pancakes and sandwich. So I'd love to see these all uh, Tallulah Beauregard and pancakes in the same section. I think we need to see that. Wait, but we have to end on Crackolicious. (laughs) This is by... (laughs) Ethan, because in the first two months of owning her, she cracked three times. Luckily, the manufacturer was amazing and sent me a new top joint. The name remains as it should. (laughs) Same owner's English horns named Helga because she was an amazing, amazing coach I used to have that I could never understand how thick her accent was the big sound of my English horn makes me think of Helga and her passion for gymnastics. <laughs> if your English horn is thick, tough, and passionate about gymnastics, name it Helga. Have the doubly dish cosign to do so. Ah. 
Chemical City Double Reeds is a full-service double reed shop specializing in the sale of instruments, cane, accessories, and sheet music. Double Reed Dish listeners can enjoy free shipping with code DRDISH, all caps, no spaces. Visit them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or online at chemicalcityreads.com. Consider buying your processed oboe and bassoon cane from those friendly folks over at Barton Cane. Processed with care and precision for your everyday reed-making needs. Take the pain and injury out of reed-making by letting Barton Cane do the hard, repetitive, boring stuff. Free up time for practicing happy hours, hikes, baking, and spending time with friends and family. Barton Cane, here for you. Visit www.bartoncane.com. We are absolutely thrilled to welcome Faye Shia, Principal Bassoon of the Minnesota Orchestra, to Double Read Dish. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Would you start us off by telling us how you started playing the bassoon? So um, the way I started bassoon was kind of random. I, um, I started my music training when I was about three years old um, on piano. And... Um, my whole family are musicians. Um, my parents, my uncle, my aunt, they were picking opera musicians. So I grew up with traditional Chinese music um, at home. That is so um, cool. Yeah, but when I was about two or something, two years old, my uncle came back from college. He was learning composition and uh, he was just playing with me and he played notes on the toy piano. And that for some reason I couldn't name them. I can actually sing the pitch. And he said to my parents that I should, uh, I should learn piano. Um, so that's how I got started learning piano at three. And like all the Chinese families dream that I'll be a, a concert pianist. Um, so uh, I tried that for about nine years. Um, at age of 12, I was... Um, um, on my way to middle school. So we decided to audition for the music school in Beijing, um, Central Conservatory for Music. And uh, I went to take a couple lessons with a piano teacher and she said that I, I, I was not gonna get in that year, um, not good enough. So she said there are a couple of things you could do. One is that um, you take a lesson with me for a year and we'll see. Uh, the other will be try to audition for woodwinds or brass um, because at age of 12, you can start a, a new instrument. Um, you don't necessarily have to learn, know how to play it. So um, I really wanted to get into school and I don't want to hold another year um, in my grade. So we decided to try that uh, wind route. Um, we went to meet some brass faculties and they kind of checked me out, looked at my lips and said, uh, we don't think you're good to play a uh, brass instrument. <laughs> The setup just doesn't fit. Um, I felt like at, at this at moment, I felt like, oh, they're checking out like animals and horses or something. <laughs> Look at my teeth, see if it works or not. Um, so it's like, we're like, okay, fine. I think they really just, they didn't really have any openings. They're giving me an excuse. But maybe, <laughs> maybe just my setup is not right. So um, we didn't really have time to go. And we didn't really know any uh, woodwind faculty. So eventually we just decided, you know, just go in there. Um, I uh, applied and I went in, played piano. And um, hoping that if somebody will have an opening and uh, 
you know, show interest. Um, so after I played piano, it was there was a lady that asked me, uh, so what what do you want to learn? Um, I said, well, whoever teaches me that instrument, I'll, I'll learn that instrument. I just want to get into school. She said, well, do you know what bassoon is? I said, sure, I, I do. Um, that was a lie, actually. I, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I did not know what bassoon was at the at the time. I I, I don't think I even really um, seen much of a um, classical concert, like an orchestra concert. Mm. I've seen Vienna um, Philharmonic New Year's Eve concert, but that's about it. And I've really never really pinpointed what instruments what. Um, so she said, "Well, okay. Well, if you want to learn this, um, have your parents coming tomorrow with you, and we'll we'll see." I said, sure. So my parents came and the next day with me, that's when I first saw the bassoon. Um, and I was like, shocked. You know, I've never seen you know, something like this this up close. And You're so, like, what? All bundle of woods and, and she putting it together. It was like, okay. It was taller than me. <laughs> almost. Um, so she played. Um, and I just really loved how it sounded. It was mellow and it was beautiful. She was playing something slow. It was kind of soothing, and um, so the teacher said, "Well, so this is a bassoon, you know. Are you interested?" My parents are not uh, immediately on board with this. They still think I have a shot to be a, a pianist. Um, but I, I said, I, I, I want to learn this. I don't know if it's because I want to, you know, just leave home, go to the boarding school, or I just wanted to get into the school. But I, I said, I, I want to learn this. Um, so that's kind of how I started to learn bassoon. I got into the school now knowing the instrument while everybody else, like my classmates, they already had about at least a couple years of training mm. before they applied. Yeah, so that's that's my start. That's so interesting. So obviously things went well learning the bassoon. It really uh, <laughs> resonated. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it seems, it seems to have been a good choice. Um, <laughs> can we hear about maybe, I don't know if this is a romantic sentiment, but falling in love with the bassoon and deciding you wanted to pursue it professionally and maybe walk us through your training and educational journey? Yeah, so um, I, you know, when I first started bassoon, it was kind of um, rough because um you know, at any wind instrument, it's not it's not a natural thing to do. You know, we don't normally breathe like that. And you know, sometimes I think about when I go to education concerts, I show kids. You know, this is what I do to make a living <sighs> for about an hour and a half or so. Um, so on a good day. On a good day. <laughs> so I I start out, you know, first playing on reeds, and I it's uncomfortable sensation um you know for playing piano for a long time you never encounter those kind of feelings mm -hmm. um and then you know i was making music at relatively higher level and then i go back down to just play a note Oof. uh so that's kind of it was it was not very um satisfying and i would constantly get lightheaded you know i feel like uncomfortable you feel like i'm gonna pass out um so that initial um, year, I would say, it was just not, it was not great. And then we have exams at the end of the school years. Of course, you have to participate. And I was at the level that was much lower than everybody else. 
And the things that school do is actually you have a final exam, and they post the grades in the board on the on the board. Wow. So everybody, all the kids, and come to check the grade, and then you look at, you know, alphabetically, my name's always last, but grade wise, <laughs> my name was last as well. <laughs> um, so it was it was kind of sad, and you know, you know, kids at that age in the boarding school not really exactly. Uh, friendly sometimes they're like you know hey make it's a sure terrible you... 12 13 <laughs> 14 it's a terrible age group right exactly so it yeah. was you know I had I had somebody you know I was playing soccer with a friend he was a friend now you know he wasn't very friendly at the first year together I was trying to you know get the ball from him he stopped the ball he said well you know why don't you just make a good sound out of the bassoon first and and then come play soccer with me and that really hit me it's like you know you're in this environment where everybody is much better um so i i gotta um kind of uh push myself a little bit harder mm -hmm. um but one good thing is that because i start from fresh um i didn't i didn't you know have much detours i started out with a, a very good teacher very good um education uh from that sense of the learning bassoon and also i had very strong background in music to begin with, I, you know, I can read music really well. And I, as soon as I start to be able to play scales, play things well, I, I wanted to jump ahead, start playing sonatas and play um, good music. So, um, you know, I kind of progressed rather quickly after a year um, and I can start playing music really well. And that's kind of helped me. And, you know, I made friends and then the guy was saying that to me, Turns out to, you know, later became a very good friend. Um, <laughs> and I, I sometimes I tease him about what he said. He's like, you know, you pushed me uh, to be uh, like uh, where I am right now. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I started my early um, education on bassoon. And uh, bullying made me better. It was. It was. It was. <laughs> yeah, it was. send him some comps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> See what he did to me. How do I sound now? Right. So that's that's kind of um start out was not very easy. Um but um it got better um rather quickly. And um so you know fast forward when I get to high school age, um, you know, I was on top of my class. Um my grades were always number one. Um and then when I graduated my grade was number one for the um entire uh wind class um not just bassoons so my teacher was always kind of wanting to push me to go study abroad um he said you know this I, th I think i can still teach you but i think you need much better uh, education um so we started looking for uh, music schools and that's when i uh applied uh, for oberlin um in my uh, senior year in high school and got into oberlin um but uh, there was a little story about this that was actually interesting was that um, back then when I was in China, I didn't really, I didn't have a computer. Um, my English was very minimum. Um, and, uh, but I wanted to apply for college. Um, so I started to look online, look for Oberlin, all these schools. And I know somebody went to Oberlin saying, you know, it's a good program. So I said, okay, it was the only school I applied. It was only one school, it was Oberlin. And I got, I, I eventually found Oberlin website 
and I wrote a broken English letter. But on the two um, column, I wrote to www.oberlin.edu rather than anybody's, you know, email. I keep <laughs> bouncing back and I just, I couldn't figure out why. Eventually I asked some, um, um, some friends kind of looked over. It's like, that's not where you sent your email. You have to find the person and, you know, it's George Sakakini at Oberlin.edu. You're like, that is not made clear. Yeah, like, well, nobody is telling me. How do I know? <laughs> so I wrote him an email and he actually, he saved an email. He's, he, you know, he, um, years later, he would show me the email. I said, well, look how, when you started and look where you are right now. Oh. And he, he says, you know, really important thing for him to decide to take me was that, uh, even though I really didn't quite understand how everything worked, but I did everything on my own. I tried to email, I tried to contact, ask about what I need to play. Um, I did everything on my own. And he was really happy with that. He sees that that's a showing a quality that I can, I can make it here. I can, mm -hmm. you know, I will face a lot of challenges when I come to study, but I, I will try to figure it out on my own. So. I think um, one of the big myths of our field is that um, our heroes are amazing and they've always been perfect and they've always just been right at the top and they've always had it like, ugh, you know, just this straight shot up to the top, you know, and it's really inspiring to hear you talk about struggling early on because it breaks that myth of it was always sunshine and rainbows um, and then trying to get to Oberlin, you know, the struggles that I'm sure you faced once you got here. It's really inspiring to hear about that. So I thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, yeah, sure. I had a lot of struggles <laughs> throughout my whole career. It's one after another. But I think I think those are the things that kind of help us grow, you know, help us mm -hmm. um, mature and have a better understanding and also have a um a better mentality, you know, how you face these kind of things. Um, mm -hmm. And that can translate into performing because, you know, constantly we're trying to prove something and it's, it's not always uh, easy to, uh, to be able to do things that you want to do. Um, but I think as long as you try your best and be prepared and uh, feel good yourself about yourself, then I think that's more important than pleasing other people. Would you talk us through what happened after Oberlin? Maybe your journey toward your your position in the Minnesota Orchestra. Sure. Um, so when I was at Oberlin, um, there was a year um, George uh, was on sabbatical, and uh, we had two different teachers that came uh, to teach us. One was Nicolasa Custer. Um, she did a semester, and the other was Carlo Colombo from um, France. Um, so it was it was a changing of teacher, and then I remember we're talking about auditions for orchestras, and and uh, you know I think at that year, my junior year, there was opening for Los Angeles Philharmonic, and uh, it was um, Nick um, encouraged me to you know send a resume, just give a try. And she said, you know, you got to start early. Um, so I did, and I I did quite well at the audition, but I didn't win. But I think it's then I started to realize that what I wanted to do is be a professional orchestral musician because um, 
I, I have fun playing orchestra, you know, playing different repertoire with different conductors, different people. Mm-hmm. I like the feeling of a group making music together. Um, so um, I start taking auditions and at the same time I, I apply for summer festivals. Uh, I went to Music Academy of the West and studied with uh, Ben Caymans and it really hit off. Um, we, we, we worked really well together. So um, after I graduated from Oberlin, I um, went to Rice to study with Ben. Um, when I was in um, Houston, there were some opportunities uh, for auditions, including Houston Symphony. Um, but then I ended up getting the second bassoon job in Houston Grand Opera uh, while I was in school. I think quite a couple of Rice grads um, held that job <laughs> after I left. <laughs> no surprise there, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I did that. Um, I did the opera and school uh, together in my second year, which was which which was tough. You know, I have to uh, manage to be able to fit in the schedule, but still have this uh, professional work uh, to work out. Um, so yeah, after that, I'm, I graduated and I stayed in Houston for another year, and that's when I got the uh, second bassoon in Baltimore Symphony. Um, so I left Houston in 2008. And I think I played in Baltimore for about three or four seasons when they had the principal bassoon opening and there was a national audition and I won that audition. So I started playing principal in Baltimore. Um, and in, I think it was in 2017 uh, when Minnesota Orchestra had an opening. Um, I came and won that job and that's where I am now. So yeah, I had about three three different jobs now in four different positions but um it was um it was not easy i lost i lost many auditions before um uh, you know some of them he's just like oh this is great this is great and then i remember specifically there was an audition in oregon oregon symphony years ago uh i went and i played the first day preliminary round i did not advance but, you know, of course, when you go to auditions, you see so many of your friends there. And But I booked my tickets and all that stuff already, so I decided just to stay and hang out with my friends. And the next day, we organized going to Chinatown to have dim sum together. Yum. <laughs> there were about maybe seven, eight of us, and we sit down, we start talking, and in like a couple of minutes into it, I find out I was the only one in the group that did not advance to the next round. <laughs> And everybody advanced. I was like, oh, this is great. Is anybody feeling <laughs> today? Just make me feel a little better. Like a man when he's down. I know. But it was it was good, you know, because I think it's about uh, when you take auditions, when everything you do is right, in the end, it's about a right fit of, you know, with a group. Um, I think it was a month after that, I won Baltimore. Um, I think it was a, even on the same read. Did you did you text all those people immediately? Well, no. remember that time when you all advanced and I didn't? I just want. No, no the thing about you know, I at least I know for bassoonists we're all very supportive of each other. You know, they all felt bad and then and they were really happy for you when you do well, and um, that's why most of my friends are bassoonists. <laughs> <laughs> we're all kind of in a support group. Uh, together the the auditioning bassoonist support group yes exactly 
<laughs> yeah, so that that's my kind of my route and where how I end up getting uh, into Minnesota Orchestra. Okay, I've got a few questions. Um, so obviously, I understand what you're saying that everyone as an auditioner has ups and downs and successes and failures. Nonetheless, you did win no less than three auditions for some pretty big bands, right? <laughs> um, so uh, I I can assume that along the way you've learned some strategies for audition preparation. And I wonder if you would share uh, what you learned along the path with us. Sure. Um, I, I put in a lot of thought about this thing, um, I can start from the earlier stage when I first started taking the auditions. Um, I always thought, you know, they gave you the rep, gave you the list, go learn it and play. And I, I, I did that and sometimes turns out to be good, sometimes it's not. And I feel like I can play the person really well. What's wrong? You know, what, mm. what, is, what is not there? And, you know, until I started playing in the orchestra, in a professional orchestra, and you start realizing it's not just about if you can play the excerpt. It is how you sound it when you're playing to the committee members. Because good percentage of the committee are not bassoonists. Mm -hmm. So they're listening from the point of view of the piece. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to hear if you sound like you know the piece. Um, so at the earlier stage, I realized that what I need to do is to be really prepared and really study. I think the amount of work you put in, not just playing, um, not just to learn the excerpt, but to, to understand the piece, to understand what happened around you, uh, that's very helpful. Um, and I think as audition committee, you wanted to hear somebody who is experienced. doesn't matter how big, how small the orchestra is. You want somebody who has experience. Or if somebody doesn't have the experience, they can trick you into that they know the piece right, to make right. it sound like they know the piece and that shows that they're a quick learner and they know what it takes to sound um, well in the group. So um, that's, you know, I, when I start early on to take these auditions, that's my mentality. I prepared excerpts. I learned the piece. I learned the background, the piece or the composition or the composer's other pieces just to get an idea. Mm. And I really try to think, Sometimes, you know, we think we're playing a solo, but there's somebody else is playing something else with you. Rather than me thinking of my solo, I'm thinking of the other person's too. So just, you know, it, it will get people to think that, okay, this person knows what's going on here. That's what people want. They don't want to, um, nobody really wants to have somebody come in and you teach them every rep that you're playing. Because you're coming in as a colleague. Nobody's supposed to teach anyone anymore. You do learn from your colleagues, but... You don't want people to constantly tell you, hey, you need to do this. You don't need to do that, that kind of thing. So That's such a good point. So, you know, I, I think it's important to kind of, um, you know, arm yourself with knowledge and with, uh, um, you know, the correct styles that you can learn. Um, but then later, once I have, you know, when I had a job in Baltimore after a few years, I've done all the rap mostly. You know, you, you, you look at the audition list, you know how to play them. At that point, my mentality was to really make myself happy with how I played. And if that lined up with what a committee is looking for, that's perfect. 
And if I end up in a job where I have to change so much of how I want to play, it's not going to be good. It's not, you know, it's already a very stressful job. Uh, you don't want to constantly have to change things to please other people. Mm -hmm. um, so I just thought, okay, I will do my best to make it sound like how I want to sound and will let the community decide if they uh, want to pick me or not. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of my two stages of preparing for audition, you know, um, both preparing it and mentally preparing um, how I want to be. Um, you know, I've lost quite a few auditions. I've learned to let go after it um, because it's it's not for you. Then you don't need to think about it. Don't make yourself feel bad. Don't beat yourself up. Just, you know, uh, you can only do, um, you can only play best how you want to play and just let other people to pick who they want. My next question um so you went from playing second in Baltimore to playing principal. And, you know, we think of those as two really distinct roles. I wonder about um, how the audition prepara preparation or even just doing the job is different if there was, um, you know, a leap that had to be made or do we overthink it and they're not really that, you know, different of a, a thing. So kind of, you know, the transition from being a second bassoonist to being a principal bassoonist and what's important about each of those roles. Right. So my uh, first uh, job in Houston Grand Opera, well, that's not really my first job, but it's my first, you know, very uh, professional job. Um, I won the audition. I start on the job and realize that I have a lot of challenges. Um, you know, you have to play the low register really well. You have to have a read that respond really well. You have to be able to play really soft and match other people and constantly listen. And and that's when I realized that I'm pretty good bassoonist at certain register, mm. not at another register. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that got me thinking, I, I want to be a bassoonist to be good at all uh, registers, right. <laughs> to be able to master the instrument. Um, and I don't want to, you know, one of the things that, you know, sometimes you sit in there, you hear somebody plays, they're like, oh, that really should be your part because it's low for first bassoon. But I think, you know, as first bassoon, you should be able to play low and high. You should be able to play everything. So... Um, playing second bassoon actually helped me to develop my lower register, to help me to have understanding what a good um, second bassoon need to do to help the first bassoon. So when I become a first bassoon, I know what I need to do to help the second bassoon too, and I know what how hard the second bassoon job is, and I appreciate what they do to help you know because they they don't really get appreciated much, you know when you get this big bassoon part in this concert and the first bassoon get a bow and the second bassoon just sitting there. Um, but, you know, like, thanks for holding it down, bud. <laughs> exactly. And that, you know, because I've been there, I appreciate what they do and nobody really noticed that, but they help you to make, make you sound better. So my, the transitioning between second bassoon to first bassoon for me, it was more of getting to know the instrument really well on all registers and to be able to play anything. And I think a good second bassoon player doesn't mean that they just play quiet and soft. They play really musically too. Um, they try, you know, even just a couple notes, 
um, you know, a good good bassoonist is a good bassoonist. Good musician is a good musician. You know, they they have a bar. They play with a lot of um, you know um, meanings, a lot of um, um, you know passion to it. So I think that's important. Doesn't matter where your position is. Mm-hmm. Okay, last well, not our last question of the interview, but my last uh, hogging all the questions <laughs> is. Um, can we hear about your audition winning your position at the Minnesota Orchestra? What was that day like? Like, can you just take us back into your memory and walk us through that? that yeah, I want to hear about your victory lap. Yeah. All right. So, um, for Minnesota Orchestra had two auditions for this position. And they had the first audition and there was uh, no winner chosen. And then they had a second audition. I couldn't come to the first audition because I had schedule conflict. That's why they didn't choose a winner. You know what I well, mean? It was yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. But I think, I think just, you know, audition is such a weird thing. You have so many well-qualified people come in, and it could be just not their day. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I believe there are many people who could have won this job but it just it just happened it's not their day or it's not the committee's day or you know just the setup just so for some reason didn't work out mm-hmm. um so the second one i did go and uh i i played a god i i started in the semifinal round but they wanted to people uh they want to hear people again in the semifinal round so i played two semifinal rounds and then in the final, we played another two rounds. So they had played four rounds. And at the end of it, we were playing like Mahler 1, you know, play something really soft and slow. Mm. My chops are all gone. I'm just holding on, you know, with anything I left. And then you have to play an octave higher and just shaking. I feel like, I feel like I, I'm at my, you know, bottom in terms of my endurance. I'm done. If they ask me to play anything else, I'm probably gone. Uh, luckily, they didn't. Um, so we played, and then we ended up having two people doing trial weeks. Um, and one of them, it was me. The other, it was a, my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, so we we both uh, were really happy for each other. You know, he has a very good job where he won, and I was the runner-up. <laughs> so we kind of look at this as like, okay, here we go again. Let's see who happened, what happened this time. So we, um, um, both of us came back to play trial week with orchestra. Mm-hmm. And during the trial weeks, we played a uh, service with orchestra that filled with, a, you know, six to eight um, standard uh, uh, bassoon solos. So we played, you know, Scheherazade, we played, uh, you know, Tchaikovsky, Bolero, all these things, just one excerpt after another, but with orchestra. Um, so after, so he came first and he played, he went back and then I came, I played and uh, they called me afterwards. Um, well, actually they called my friend first to tell him that um, he didn't get a job because they didn't want someone to hear about not getting a job from someone else, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was nice. And then my friend called me um, before the orchestra called me. <laughs> um, so I didn't answer. And, th- and then the orchestra called me and then um, they told me that they gave me the job. And I was, I was in the hotel. I was really, I was really excited. I was really happy. But then I feel bummed for my friend. Um, 
But then he called me. He's like, "So have they called you yet?" I said, "Yes." He said, "Well, congratulations." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Well, I, yeah. I, what should I say to you?、Um, I, I guess we're even now." <laughs> um, you know, he's he's like the best friend I have, so we're just kind of laughing. He has a great job, so I was really happy. And then I got a call from the Basums.、Um, they're asking me to come out to hang out、uh, at the bar just to you know celebrate. So I came out, and it was just really happy. And people were very supportive in this orchestra, and everybody come to me, you know, congratulated me and telling me how they love my playing.、Um, yeah, so it was just I felt I felt really. Uh, immediately connected with the group here.、Um, it's kind of a thing I feel like you know. And when I play the trial week, I just play the way I wanted to play. There's very small adjustment need to be made, which you do every day anyways.、Um, but nothing fundamental that I have to change, you know.、Um, so it just felt like a right fit.、Um, so I decided to、um, move here. Yeah. I love that story. That's so. It's you know a win-win. It's either you or your best friend, you know. Exactly.、Um, so I imagine that there is a difference between preparing for an audition as a student and preparing for an audition as the principal of a major American orchestra. And I'd love to hear how that、uh, how that affected your preparation process. You know, was there Like talk us through how you navigated working a very demanding full time job and preparing an audition, a major audition,、right. and what advice you might have for students who are working to prepare for auditions. Right. I start with the you know as a professional. I I talk about that first.、Um, you know, most of us who's been in in the orchestra in this title position. You likely have played most of these、um, rep already, and when I auditioned for musical orchestra, my thought was that、uh, you know there's no point for me to relearn these excerpts again. You know I play them often, and they sometimes they are my warm ups too. Like I I wanted to be able to you know keep them in my hands and make sure I can do them any time, play at any time.、Um, So my preparation was just mostly that I need to be in shape,、um, you know, playing wise. I I didn't take much of time off. Just you have to be in shape, have、uh, enough good reads, old and new, because you're going to a different climates to take an auditions. Older reads might help you、um, better than newer ones.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, and the other just stay、uh, sharp, not pitch wise, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Your mind.、Uh, you have to keep your mind sharp. You have to,、um, you know, when I'm sitting there playing an excerpt、um, on stage by myself, taking an audition, I'm actually thinking that I'm playing the excerpt in orchestra with hundreds of people on stage, and you know, kind of setting that scene for myself.、Um, that kind of helps me to one be excited about it, and two just kind of let go because. A lot of people really want things to go perfectly, but you know, if you play enough concert, you know that's not going to happen.、Right. It's never going to be perfect.、Um, you just have to、um, just enjoy the moment and play it like、uh, everybody's listening.、Um, nobody's judging. So I kind of said that part. I know people are judging, but I want to give them an idea that they think that they are 
just sitting there enjoying, mm -hmm. not judging, not trying to find problems. Mm -hmm. Rather, they're listening to me, um, to what I have to say. Um, as far as for students um, or less experienced players taking auditions right now, you know, I've sit, sent enough uh, on enough committees that I realized that, um, you know, a lot of people, they're really still going for the perfection, going for what's marked on the music. Sometimes they go for extreme. Um, it's too accurate. It's not personal anymore. It doesn't, mm. it doesn't feel the personal touch. You started feeling like math, you know, calculations, you know. Mm -hmm. I see this dynamic, I go boom like that. I see this, I can't hear you. Things like that. And then um, just doesn't sound like they know the piece or they, they know what it's about um, sometimes. And my advice would be really just prepare and listen to the piece, not just the excerpts. Um, and play through them with recording sometimes and without it and imagining you are playing in orchestra. Just overall setting the scene that like you know the piece. Um, I think that's better way to go because we're sitting there. We're not looking for perfections because none of us are perfect anyways. So you want to see who can move you, who can, you know, show uh, what they have to say rather than just music on the, on the paper. One cool thing that you've gotten the opportunity to do as a member of the Minnesota Orchestra is record the Mahler symphonies. And so I wonder if you could um, tell us a bit about that experience, not only the experience in and of itself, but I don't know, recording solo is hard enough. I think about the process of recording as a large ensemble and it seems so like daunting and unique. Can we hear about that experience? Yeah, so um, the way we do here is that the first week we do the Mahler concert. And then the second week, the recording engineer comes and we have block of times to actually just record the whole piece. Um, so <clears throat> at, that, at that point, you know the piece really well already. You have the highs that you play the concert and now you have to come back and to really, you know, finding these little details and, you know, setting the mics and then what we do is that we do a first run of something and then the whole orchestra are invited to the booth to listen. Um, so, you know, the, the section come in, they hear this. Mm, okay, this is good. I hear that. Okay, I'll do a little bit of something different. So we mark our own thing. And the conductor, Osmo, he, he marks his thing and they come back. We talk about what we want to do differently. And uh, it's sometimes, you know, you, you the pressure is higher because, you know, you play something and everything's so good. And then you make one mistake yeah. and you're like, oh, the whole thing I had to start again because of me, you know? Um, but so we, we do a couple of takes and sometimes something they don't catch, but you know, you're like, you kind of uh, quietly raise your hands like, um, excuse me, <laughs> can we do that again? I, I didn't, I didn't get that one perfectly well and and they're like okay but sometimes the, the we have a very good recording engineer from biz and um he just listened he's like you know we have a good take no worries and then you you go on to move on something else but the whole week uh, you know it's a lot of work a lot of stress and uh you know at some point you just kind of like just the first take was better than the than you know the following takes and like I wish the first one would be just done with and move on. Um, so it's a, it's a, a 
you know, exhausting process. Mm-hmm. But it is satisfying. Afterwards, you listen to the whole product. You listen to, you know, how you did it. It's like you know the piece much, much better than just play the concert. You know, um, and then you listen to without music. You know where who's doing what, and just it's great. It's, it, you know, and you have other people listening to it. You know, I, I buy recordings and send to my families, and be like, listen, listen, here, that's my note. <laughs> <laughs> like okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still listening to the violin solos. You know, you're <laughs> with this one loud trills. And, okay, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 it's a great experience. And one of the things I'm really happy is, you know, when you're getting an orchestra like this, you can do the recordings and you go on tours and things like that. It just um, gives a little extra, you know, um, kind of a sweetness in, you know, doing these kind of jobs. Mm-hmm. Would you tell us about a favorite memory of a past performance? I would say most recently are, um, is my Mozart concerto with Mr. Orchestra. Mm. Um, what happened was that, um, you know, when I got in the orchestra, we kind of planned that I was going to play the concerto with Osmo in uh, 2019 and in June. Uh, but then COVID happened the orchestra stopped playing and what not playing the orchestra stopped playing for audience in the hall in march um and then we had kind of a period of time where we do online things and then um i think it was in the summertime we went back to play outside and in the fall we uh went back to the hall to play uh with you know distance and smaller orchestras but live stream only mm-hmm. um so my concerto was pushed back from June to December and to later date. Eventually, it's set for January. I think it was January 2020 or 21. I can't even remember. The, the year just went by during COVID. It's just They're this all, vague block yes. of time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my was, I think, one of the first few concerts um, and it was going to be live streamed. Um, and of course that makes you more nervous because, well, first of all, it's uncomfortable because you're playing, there's no audience. You get on stage, you know, your colleagues shuffles and then it's quiet. You know, it's nobody's there after you play, nobody's there. Um, but you know, the preparation for it is you go, okay, I'm ready to play. And then it's like, no, sorry, we, uh, we canceled this concert. (laughs) So we'll we'll set up for later days. So it had uh, up and downs for a little bit and then finally happened in January and we had the first rehearsal and play and Osmo called me and said, well, I think because the distance is so far, you know, you're standing here, we push the volume back. They can't, they can't work with the cellos. So we decided to change the setup since it's live recording anyways, they're having camera on me. They moved me in the center of the stage cool. in front of the winds. And I'm looking right at um, the conductor in the middle of the stage and the orchestra around me. And that was that was a great experience because you can hear everyone. Everyone can hear you. And you feel like you're still in the group. Um, so that Mozart Concerto, and I I would say it was one of my highlights um, in my career recently. Also because I had so much time to prepare for it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't really so busy, you know. <laughs> Doing week by week. So um, that was a really satisfying experience I had. 
Um, so to counterbalance that, you know, per live performance is unpredictable. And we always like to um, hear if our guests have a either embarrassing or funny uh, experience that you've had uh, that you can share with us, make us feel a little bit, you know, more yeah. normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. There was, there was a recently, um, <laughs> it was a movie concert we, uh, we recently played. Um, as you know, like when we play movies, I think it was a Harry Potter. Um, when we play movies, the conductor has their big screens and then the movies on top and then they have click tracks and then watching the lines, they lining up everything. It's really challenging. It's really mm -hmm. difficult. It takes a special conductor to do, to do that really well. And, um, so it was just a recent one that I played our, um, after the first show, our conductor, um, had to leave, um, for family reasons. So we had, <clears throat> um, a, a, uh, a guest conductor came to do it. He has done it before, but not with orchestra, not in the rehearsal. So we, you know, it's it's really rocky, but he's really good. He's keeping this together, and and we got to this one part, and the bassoon goes on the low, you know, D flat. So you go going like that for an entire page, and the contra goes boom 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 boom. Um, it's already kind of funny, you know, um, just to do that for the whole page and really loud and everybody just kind of look at you. It's like, oh, okay, well, you guys are rocking it. But then <laughs> that day, this new conductor came, he was doing it in four, right? And because this is kind of like all of a sudden you start. So he started really fast. So as they're going, he realized it was too fast. So he started going down. Like much slower, so I went. But we couldn't catch it, and then about ten bars into it, I just lost it. I started like crying, like laughing, and just I just could not stop. This was in the concert, and the concert was going like. But I just had it down under the stand. I just could not play. I was falling. Everybody around me, they look at me. It's like, what's going on? It's like. I took about like half a minute to regain myself and I want to start play again. And I hit the first low D flat. And I just lost it again. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, you know, when you're playing so low, you still just like spitting out. and just can't play anymore. And this, this is like, it was so embarrassing, but it was, it was so funny. I hope nobody, I hope everybody was paying attention to the screen, watching the movie. It was, kind of like, it was like a chasing some, you know, somebody was chasing something on the broom. Um, not paying attention to the bassoons turn out like purple and red and just crying, <laughs> laughing. Oh my god, that's so funny! Yeah, so that was the most um, recent, most uh, kind of embarrassing and kind of funny thing. I had this problem. I can't. I think I take from my mom. It's just normally I'm okay, but once something triggers, like really funny triggers, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> like it, it will trick take me a long time, and then. The next day, I have to really do a lot of mental prep, you know, preparation, not to think about what happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. That might happen again. <laughs> yeah, it, that was a, uh, yeah, that was. That's fun. amazing. That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> so we love to close with this question: What advice do you have for a young musician who aspires to have a career like yours? 
I think what my advice will be,、uh, you know, you do your job, you know, prepare and really work hard and getting all the details and all that. But I think the most important thing is that just always think about you are pleasing yourself, not other people, because it's so hard to do. You know, you have so many people sitting there. How are you gonna please them? The most, I think, the most successful ones will be the ones that they are pleased with themselves, and they sound very convincing. People don't have to agree with you, but they can be convinced if you, you know, really、um, think this way and you know do your best to make yourself、um, happy with how you sounded. I think that's more important than anything else. That's incredible advice, Faye. This was. A delight. Thank、oh, you thank so you. much for so generously spending an hour with us on Double Read Dish. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I had fun talking about these things. <laughs> <laughs> But have you ever seen the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice? Of course, that's Alan Rickman. No, that's Matthew McFadden, who plays Darcy,、What? Mr. Darcy, the、yes. main love interest. No, that's Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman is from Harry Potter. Yeah, he is not Mr. Darcy in the Kieran Knightley motion picture Pride and Prejudice. Am I having a stroke? Possibly. <laughs> Wait, can, do I have to Google this? <laughs> Wait, Pride and Prejudice, Darcy. Wait, <gasps> I rest my case. Okay, Matthew McFadden. Team Matthew McFadden, absolutely. And if you want more high quality <laughs> double read content,、uh, tune in and subscribe and rate and、uh, you know review. We love you.、Um, the deadline for joining the consortium is coming up on April fifteenth. If you have not joined and you want to, you better do that because we're distributing scores in May. So don't miss out on your chance. Galit, who is coming up on the next episode? Next on the podcast is Sarah Jeffrey, principal oboe of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Jackie, let's end this Matthew McFadden nerd parade. Go make reads without Colin Firth. <laughs>